Hello, and welcome to the Cult is King podcast. I am your host, Rambling Bones, joined by my co-host, the Duke. Howdy. And today, we picked, or, well, I picked, Michael Mann's Manhunter. Initial thoughts? I ended up really liking this one. I went in with no real expectations one way or the other, and I this is definitely something I would watch again. Yeah, so I'll I'll real quickly explain the plot. If you don't know what Manhunter is, Manhunter is the first adaption of the Thomas Harris book Red Dragon. Uh, Red Dragon is the first book in like the Hannibal Lecter series, so this is the first time Hannibal Lecter was ever on screen, even though he's really not the main focus of this movie. The movie follows Will Graham, who is a former FBI agent. Uh, his boss, or former boss, Jack Crawford, has come to him to ask for help on a new case. Some guy, who the police have dubbed the Tooth Fairy... Nice has, name. Yeah, nice name. ...has been uh, killing families with the lunar cycle. And he's already killed two families, and the next full moon is quickly approaching. So... Graham reluctantly decides to come back to work and uh, help Jack find where the Tooth Fairy is and how he's picking the families. Along the way, Will has to convene with Hannibal Lecter, who he had previously put away. In fact, him putting away Hannibal Lecter put him in the hospital and then the the mental hospital for a while. So it's, he's very reluctant to go back to work after how messed up he was after his last case. While Will is hunting for the Tooth Fairy, the Tooth Fairy, who's actually a guy named Francis Dollarhide, he, he doesn't really come in until much later in the film, but you get a little s sort of a small story with uh, Francis and this blind girl he works with who they have a little romance and that actually gives a little more to his character but that is essentially the story right there and the, the movie ends with a, a big shootout it's very cool and yeah that's that's the plot no this uh this movie definitely wins coolest use of Inagata de Vida yeah no we'll we'll definitely talk a bit about the music when we get there uh, I guess I'd like to start out with just talking about like who's in the movie this yeah, is we have a pretty good cast for this one yeah this is a case of at the time a lot of these actors weren't known uh, now a lot of them are known Michael Mann who is the director and writer he he was definitely known at the time Miami Vice He's he was, probably still best known for Miami Vice. Yeah, he's probably best known for Miami Vice. He was the executive producer. That was his baby. Uh, he also later made Heat. In fact, he was working on Heat while working on Manhunter, but Heat didn't materialize until many years later. Apparently, Man has a habit of taking a very, very long time to get around to the the shooting part of making a movie before this he had worked on a movie called the keep uh which is very much a, a cult film yeah and uh, very much one that we'll probably eventually touch on and uh, uh thief with uh, james Kahn, which is also pretty much a cult film that is very good yeah it's funny a lot of his movies have been probably looked on now uh a lot more fondly than they were when they were released well i think Everything after Manhunter was high caliber. Yeah. I mean, last of the Mohicans. That's true. I had um, forgotten that he directed that. And uh, I believe he did Ali with Will Smith. And uh, pr pretty much like everything after Manhunter is something that you'd be like, oh, I know that. That's uh, famous. But everything pre-Manhunter is sort of in that kind of cult area. But our, our lead actor uh, playing Will Graham is William Peterson. And if uh, you're anything like us, uh, you probably look at him and immediately go, it's Grissom. Yes, he is Gil Grissom on CSI Las Vegas. 
which she was also apparently the or one of like the big producers on that show. I don't know if that was post him acting or while he was acting, but well, and I didn't see anything specifically. I don't know if you did, but I would be very surprised if his role here in Manhunter didn't get him that role. I believe Manhunter it was sort of an inspiration in some ways for that. Manhunter I believe sort of kicked off the perception change of the FBI into we're we're actually seeing what actual investigation looks like for the FBI and we start having FBI like protagonist. Yeah, it was kind of like one of the early like kind of helped popularize the police procedural. Mhm. William Peterson was also in Young Guns too. Uh, he he's been in other stuff, but I I think if anyone knows his name and what he's in, it's they just know Gil Grissom. Which, if you have to be known for one thing, you could do worse. Yeah. Tom Noonan plays Francis Dollar Hyde, or the Tooth Fairy. And he does a wonderful job, by the way. Yeah, he's interesting. What what we know him from is a little movie called Eight-Legged Freaks that he's in. A little in. classic called Eight-Legged Freaks. He's, he's in, like, the first five minutes and then dies. And we also know him from a little show we've mentioned previously called Tales from the Dark Side. He's actually in one of our favorite episodes. Honestly, we could start a podcast and just talk about Tales from the Dark Side, and I would be cool with that. He He's in other stuff. He's in high caliber stuff. He, he's in RoboCop 2. There you go. <laughs> he's Kane in RoboCop 2. But he, while making this movie, he didn't want... He did... He was very method. He didn't want to interact with anybody. Uh, in fact, Michael Mann helped facilitate this by sending out a memo to everybody that if you talk to Mr. Noonan, uh, you will be severely reprimanded, <laughs> whatever that means. Man, actors are such weirdos. He didn't interact with anyone. He would actively uh, avoid Peterson until... I believe the final night of shooting was the final scene where they confront each other. And even when they were doing that scene, Newton didn't even talk to him the entire entire night. Bill Cox, uh, who plays Hamble Lecter, Tom Noonan did not meet him until many years after making this <laughs> movie. Well, they don't have any scenes together now that I think about it. No, they so, don't. Yeah, um, that's he, interesting. He also uh, wanted to be called Francis. Uh, he 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 was only referred to by his character's name. Hey, you know, I mean, on one end, that sounds like a lot of craziness to this guy. But uh, I will say, I mean, as far as results went, I thought he did a bang-up job. Actually, I was really impressed with all the performances in this movie. No, everyone is really solid, but I'll say his is... His is really good. I mean, he's not in the movie that much. No, but when he is there, I mean, it's some of the most important scenes, obviously. Uh, and he does a good job of just not appearing quite right. Um, he's not... This is definitely more of a, like, a thriller or a mystery, almost. He's not... This isn't like Silence of the Lambs, where it's, where it's a psychological thriller, but it's kind of filmed in some ways like a horror movie. Um, he's not necessarily necessarily super scary right out of the gate or something. He's just kind of off. He's this big, tall, dorky kind of guy who's just... You, you get the feeling that he just doesn't know how to interact with other people. But then, you know, he also turns it on when he's in red dragon mode. Yeah, he's he's a little... He's just uncomfortable, Right, I would say. And there's some really good scenes with that. Um, so, one scene I particularly liked is uh we talked about how he kind of had a crush on this girl he works with and she he has her over and uh, she's sitting on the couch with him and uh obviously she can't see what he's looking at he has his projector out uh, she's blind the character's right. blind should did we mention that earlier i i don't think we mentioned that she was okay blind. well that's big because why she's sitting here on the couch with him she can't see but he is looking at uh pictures of the next uh, family uh, he's uh, looking to a video a home video right he's because the whole thing that they later discover is is that he actually works either like at a home video store of some sort like uh the a place where they develop the film so he's 
all of these home videos that throughout the movie, Graham has been watching these home videos to figure out why uh, these families were picked. And he realizes that they were picked because these home videos were sent to that film developing company. And so these are all home videos that uh, Dollar Hyde has actually seen. I know, I know it's you know more fair to look at each movie by itself, but in reality, nothing exists in a vacuum. So I know they later remade Red Dragon, um, but I kept comparing this to my head to Silence of the Lambs. And I'll say one jaw, one thing that they do a lot better than this one is he definitely comes off as a threat. I think another thing I liked better about this is uh, the Doctor Lecter character is really cool in this film, but Dollar Hyde is not upstaged. Mm-hmm. Would you you say comparing to Silence of the Lambs, he feels like an actual threat? Did you think that in Silence of the Lambs that Buffalo Bill was less threatening? He was definitely creepy, but you have to wonder if he didn't pull off his crimes more by luck. He didn't strike. I don't know. When I was watching, him, he didn't strike me as a terribly intelligent fellow. Well, with such great lines as "she a great big fat chick," <laughs> uh, you really gotta wonder about the 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 mental might. Well, and that was just a personal thing. This isn't me even trying to attack the actor or Silence of the Lambs. It's obviously a great movie, but, you know, when you have a movie that's the first appearance of Hannibal Lecter and one of the first, ada- well, the first adaption of a Thomas Harris book, you know, it's hard not to draw some comparisons. Well, actually, the first adaption of a Thomas Harris book was a movie called, I believe, Black Sunday about terrorists trying to blow up a Goodyear blimp in the middle of a sporting event. I stand corrected then. There's probably a good reason you haven't heard about it. <laughs> well, I'm surprised having seen this that I hadn't heard of Manhunter, but before we go in, we still have... Uh... There's some other actors, yeah. Yeah, I'm about to say, this This had a fairly decent cast. Um, I guess going into Lecter real quick, that's uh, an actor named Brian Cox, who is a, a Scottish... He was like a Scottish stage actor, and this was really his breakout into to film. And he had a very long, successful career that's still going on today. There are still, like, on his, uh, you know, filmography page, some TBAs there. Yeah, he's Stryker in the second X-Men movie, like, of the original X-Men series. And uh, (laughs) he's the police captain in Super Troopers. He is. Which, uh, I guess I never put two and two together and seeing all of this serious, you know, high-profile acting chops he has displayed, and then seeing him in Super Troopers is really just a whiplash. Well, the thing is, is while I never necessarily, he, seeing him in movies, I never, like, you know, noticed that he was in all of these movies. Looking back through his filmography, I kept going, oh, wow, I've seen that. Or, oh, he was that guy? yeah. And he's Hannibal Lecter in this, and Hannibal Lecter is not the focus of this movie at all. No, and don't get us wrong, he's an important facet of this film, but this is not a story about Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. He's important to um, Will Graham's backstory, and then later he becomes important because uh, Dollar Hyde starts to, uh, to reach out to him. Uh, through coded messages, and at one point he gives off Will Graham's address, mm-hmm. which I think ends up being more important in the book than it is in the movie. Uh, I've read Silence of the Lambs, but I have not read Red Dragon, so I can't comment too much on what was changed here and there. Yeah, so I'll real quickly touch on that. In the the book, how the, the movie, or the book ends, how the book ends is the house that uh, Dollar Hyde's in explodes and they think he's dead. Will and his family go back to their home in Florida where he's waiting for them. And it's it's the second surprise climax. And then they they have their final standoff then. That was how this movie was originally going to end. And that is how the uh, Red Dragon film ends. But due to budget constraints, they didn't end it that way. Last two actors I want to touch on are Joan Allen, who plays the blind woman Reba, and she was in 
she's in a lot of stuff. She's in Face Off, but the thing <laughs> just the move. I love that the movie that you jump to is like, yeah, she's in Face Off. That, yeah, that so... movie where John Travolta and who else is in that movie? <laughs> uh, Nicholas Cage. Oh, how could I forget the John Woo classic? Um, whenever I'm looking at the list of things people are in, I probably don't tend to choose the most important roles rather than the things I enjoy. But the the other thing that stood out to me, and if you're a, a pro gamer... Um, oh. <laughs> it's my turn to cringe. She, yeah, she is the voice of uh, Delphine in Skyrim, who is, you know, if you, if you actually play the main plot line of Skyrim, she's a main character. But you shouldn't be playing the main plot line of Skyrim. Who does that? You should just be... <laughs> I'm going to be honest, for the hours I have sunk into those Elder Scrolls games, most of it is just running around in the wilderness. Exactly. Murdering chickens and being arrested for it. The The last actor is Dennis Farina. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. And he is Jack Crawford. Now, he uh, was the lead in a show called Crime Story. He was in Miami Vice. He was in a lot of stuff. But what makes him interesting was that he was an actual Chicago police officer and on the side was acting until he eventually moved into fully acting. But he he was a, an actual law enforcement agent. And him, Joan Allen, and William Peterson were all based in Chicago, so they were in a lot of plays together. Uh, and I, I just I thought that was an interesting connection. It is an interesting connection. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I lied. One last actor. He's not important. Frankie Fajan, I believe it's Fajan, plays Lieutenant Fisk, who is just some cop who has a few lines. The only reason he's important is because in Silence of the Lambs and the rest of the Hannibal movies, he is Benny the Orderly. So oh. he's the only connection between the two movies. I... There's an actor named Dan Butler who was in both Silence of the Lambs and this, but I don't know who he was in either movie because he's not important. Well, and I gotta say, I was surprised. So, obviously, I had never even heard of this film before you brought up that we might want to do it for the podcast. Um, despite, you know, being an adapt adaptation of a fairly popular book. And I gotta wonder what happened to this movie because when I watched it, my thoughts were like this is a really good movie why has this been you know why has this fallen into obscurity like it has two things that i came across this movie the budget was 14 to 15 million dollars and in north america it made somewhere between four and 8.6 million dollars so it was definitely not a success but the reason for that was the producer Dino De Laurentiis, who gave us such classics as Conan the Barbarian and Army of Darkness, he big name in producing, uh, his company was going through financial troubles, so the distribution was off. Um, I didn't get distributed into the rest of the world until like a year after it had been distributed in North America, and I'm pretty sure it probably didn't get a big spread in America at the time. Do you think this is mostly a case of it just it didn't get out there to be seen? I, I don't think it got out there to be seen. Critics at first were not. It's, again, one of those movies where critics weren't a big fan of. And then years down the line, it got Public opinion changes, and then they have to change so that they look smart. But that and We actually knew it was a good movie the whole time. <laughs> well, after a second viewing. No, it's, um, well, we saw Silence of the Lambs, but... Um, how do I make myself look smart? Did you know that Hannibal Lecter appeared previously and it was better that time? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I saw so many articles like that. That being said, uh, how uh, there's no getting around it. We've got to answer this question. How would you compare Brian Cox's Lecter to uh, Anthony Hopkins? I would say that it's it's really a hard comparison because. I'll say Cox's uh, Lecter is more grounded in that he's just, like, a normal dude. Uh, I'm not a big true crime guy, but I have watched, you know, the Ed Kemper interviews and, like, some, some like, the serial killer stuff. And 
a lot of them do just sort of talk like normal people. While... Well, if they um, let's be honest, if you if you're a serial killer and you can't you know come off as a normal person, you get caught a lot earlier. Um, while Anthony Hopkins is very, he's Dracula for the modern age. Well, and I think Silence of the Lambs. There there are parts of that movie where he's not that theatrical, but right. definitely as the series goes on and the series becomes more about him, it got s- maybe not sillier, but more less grounded for sure less grounded more out there well you know it's it's like any character like in this movie dr lecter is a very smart serial killer he is not like he is in the tv show where he's like some sort of satanic figure uh he's not like this superhuman dracula-esque villain um, he's just a very smart serial killer, and I think he does a very good job of portraying that. Like, you can tell right away that he's very smart, he's up to no good, and you can tell that his ego is still very freshly bruised from being caught by Graham. And I think, for me, with Lecter, he feels like a character who is best used maybe minimally, or... He's a character that you should want more, but when, but you maybe shouldn't get more. And that's the problem with a lot of things in movies, is that what audiences want or what they think they want doesn't actually always make the movie better once they get it. I mean, it was the same when they made the book, which I did read, regretfully, Hannibal Rising. And then I think there was a movie of that, well, there was a movie of that too, where they, like, gave Lecter's origin away, which I don't think Thomas Harris even wanted to write that book. Well, but, uh, he when did the money write flows. Book. Well, I think he basically came down to, hey, we're making this movie. Either you can write the book and get to decide what the backstory is, or we'll make something up. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure that even when they made the movie, they didn't think, well, we're going to have to follow this real closely. Just give us the spark notes of your book. But, no, Thomas Harris, I think... I mean, you've you've read more of the Hannibal works than I have. But, I've I've read a couple, but it's my understanding that he also sort of liked the Hannibal character a lot. So with each subsequent book, Hannibal started to become more important, and then even with the movies, Hannibal becomes more important. And their Red Dragon came, it came out after. Silence of the Lambs. And so they added a bunch of Lecter scenes into it that weren't original to the book because Hannibal Lecter was so popular. Well, and I can... So I did, after watching this, watch scenes and watch as much as I could of uh, their Red Dragon. Manhunter is a much better movie. I I like... Uh, there's things about Red Dragon that I do like. I think it's not a bad movie. Um, I do like Edward Norton, but I think... I don't think he holds a candle, though, to the I way that I think Peterson's William... better, yeah. Yeah. I liked their Francis, and I think it's sort of a weird give and take because in that movie, there's more time spent on Francis and uh, his relationship with the blind woman, Reba. But uh, at the same time, that sort of takes away some of the mystique around him so i mean it's like a trade-off do you want more back do you want a deeper character do you want a scarier character the movie is ugly though like it suffers from that 2000s digital blue and it's it's just hard to look at it's it's an ugly movie while this movie is a very pretty movie uh no this is a very visually striking movie uh with lots of color and some very beautiful scenes Yes, this movie's cinematographer is Dante Spinotti. This movie is made by a lot of Italian people, despite Michael Mann being American. Apparently, Dino just gave them like a ton of Italian crew, uh, and I think the Dante was probably the only English and Italian-speaking crew member on there. So a lot of the crew didn't actually speak any English. So, so they're all going through him, basically. They're all going through him. But he, Michael Mann, I watched an interview 
with uh, Dante, and he was talking about how uh, man really liked the color green because it was kind of provided an uneasiness to a lot of uh, the scenes. But Dante introduced man to the color blue. Man had never seen the color blue before. <laughs> he had Dante. never seen. Um, and so this movie is very blue, but but not blue filtered. Yeah, it's not ugly. It's not like they went into color correction and shifted everything to be blue. Surely the 2000s were a godless time. (laughs) (laughs) This this is uh, just so beautiful, this movie. This movie, part of actually what the critics didn't like about this movie is it was too stylized. The, The music was too stylized and distracting. The actual cinematography was too stylized for them. Well, if anything... I really liked it for, if some ways, and tell me if I'm reaching here, he feels kind of like uh, he's Argento, but turned down a little bit. Yeah, it does sort of, I mean, with the color, it feels like you, you've you got that Argento Italian lighting, but Which, I, I guess tuned for down record. for a, a less, a less uh, out there type well, film. Yeah, it's not quite like Argento where sometimes it's more styled than substance almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, for anybody uh, unfamiliar with Dario Argento, one, uh, stay tuned. Uh, <laughs> definitely going to be some movies of his on the, our uh, to-do list. But uh, he was an Italian fi- uh, filmmaker famous for the giallo uh, genre, uh, yeah. which is usually like a cross-a-mystery movie with a slasher movie. Uh, But he directed things like uh, Suspiria and Deep Red that are pretty well-known. And a lot of things which have fallen into the cult classic category. Yeah, but this—I was kind of looking at the reviews, talking about how it was over-stylized. I I sort of wonder if maybe the average person going and seeing that movie, or Manhunter when it came out, might think that. While now— for me, it feels like movies are you either get style and no substance or substance and no style. Yeah, there's, <laughs> it, well, it's like, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Wes Anderson. Like an average person will watch a Wes Anderson movie. And I mean, I've, a lot of people like his work, but a lot of people will watch it and be like, this is kind of weird, but it's very pretty looking. While uh, an average person going to watch a movie that wouldn't be weird to them would, you know, those movies tend to be very ugly. So it's, it doesn't feel like there are many movies that have both that really uh, pretty style combined with uh, down-to-earthedness. While this movie is both pretty and, like, normal. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's a good-looking film, but it's not just good-looking. It also sounds good. Uh, I really liked the soundtrack for this one. Yeah, the soundtrack is also interesting. Another comparison that critics were making is this movie's too much like Miami Vice, which I think is only a plus to this movie because <laughs> Miami Vice is fantastic. Yeah, uh, in Bones' opinion, there cannot be too much Miami Vice. But... This movie uses a lot of music. Um, it's almost the music kind of reminded me of John Carpenter, in the sense of, you know we got a lot of like synth like keyboard going in, and uh, it's good, but it tends to be kind of minimalist at a lot of parts. In in some parts it's minimalist, and then other parts it's beating you over the head. But usually, like when it intensifies, it helps the scene because I mean it really, or at least I thought it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Because it really gets a, you know, you can see that the stakes are being raised. I think the, uh, somebody attached to the film who was in in an important position uh, stated that the music is purposely distracting in some scenes. Like, there's a a part where Francis has pulled up to the, the blind woman's house to, like, pick her up or visit her. And he imagines her kissing another dude. And it's not even in the background. There's a, I guess, like the number one featured song of this movie is called Strong As I Am by an obscure band called The Prime Movers. It almost, I mean, it's not a music video, but that music is just pounding through. No, it's almost like the scene itself is in the background and the music's in the foreground. Yeah, I think that's the only time where the music is 
really like that except for when you get to the end the the final shootout is synced to Inagata Davida and it synced really well probably the best use of that song ever and that is like no so <laughs> Peterson's character uh also will he also will. also will is um he's outside and they found the house but backup has not arrived yet and he can see through the window the dollar hide is about to kill her and he is like he decides that plus get the idea at this point the uh will's not maybe using his best judgment mm-hmm. his whole thing in the movie his whole the whole idea of his character is that he's able to get in their heads so he's constantly going and trying to look at the scene the way like dollar hide looked at it and he hates this guy he wants to catch him and just put him down mm-hmm. so he's charging as Inagata Davida is starting to kick in and then he breaks through the window as that riff is blaring um, right at Buffalo, or not Buffalo Bill. Uh, he's barreling down right on um, uh, Dollar Hide, and it's just, it's an awesome scene. No, I mean, when you sit and really think about it, it's like, well, maybe he should have just shot him through the window, but I don't care because it is so cool. It is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> it's it's the best scene of the whole movie. It's the best scene of the whole movie. And this is a movie with a lot of good scenes. You know, it's not like it's uh, just the diamond in the rough, but it, it is the tippy top. And it, it's good that it's the tippy top because it's the climax. Uh, I've seen too many movies that have a lot of good scenes or a lot of good build, but the climax kind of fizzles. Yeah. Uh, no, this movie nailed it. The rest of the music is uh, composed by a band called the Reds, who, I mean, this is they're they're a short-lived rock band, very obscure. This uh, is their claim to fame. Uh, they did music for Miami Vice, and after doing that, Michael Mann brought them on with a Michael Rubini to do the music, and whatever music that they didn't create, they used a few songs from a band called shriek back which is like a post punk art rock band um um i'm gonna be honest i have never heard of this band and uh they sound awful <laughs> but i guess if they did the movie for the music for this movie i guess they are they weren't too bad. I, I mean i like the songs that are in this movie but it's not exactly like driving to church on a sunday time to for some easily listening <laughs> um it's a little strange a little out there and I mentioned uh, the Prime Movers, their song. Now, uh, this isn't a music podcast, but I'd like to recommend a little band for you. You should you should definitely check out the Prime Movers. I mean, their stuff is, I like it. It's kind of one of those things where I'm kind of surprised, well, kind of like this movie, I'm kind of surprised they didn't catch on. Yeah, but what little music they did release, um, the, the the Prime Movers did break up, but three of the members went on to form a little a little band called Dread Zeppelin. And once again, not a music podcast, but you should at least look up Dread Zeppelin just to see what it is. They pretty much make reggae versions of Led Zeppelin songs, but the vocals are all done in like an Elvis impersonator style. <laughs> and it's a uh, if that sounds awful, it really is actually, it's kind of good. Yeah, if if Elvis, if Las Vegas Elvis had a reggae band and they only did Led Zeppelin covers, that's the band. And it's, it's like a joke, but a joke that's actually good and you could listen to it it's like it's like they made a whole career out of a joke yes um but if you're looking for creative ways to get the aux cord taken away from you (laughs) you can't you could do worse than dread zeppelin yes um and then uh, iron butterfly is in agata vita and and nothing else they didn't do anything else (laughs) so you, you probably have made somebody very mad i probably have uh but no that's the only song the average viewer is going to know um, I will say the one thing that might turn some people off here, uh, especially with the soundtrack, is, I don't know, for me it doesn't bother me if a movie is like quote-unquote dated, um, but this this is a very 80s movie, uh, and the soundtrack especially, especially that little uh, Strong As I Am music video, it's... <laughs> It's uh, it, almost excessively 80s at times. Yeah. Personally, that wasn't much of a turnoff for me. That didn't hurt my enjoyment. But I know for some people that might be a put off. 
Yeah, no, I I would agree. Honestly, my only my only complaint about this film is in the climax there are some very strange jump cuts. So I don't have this confirmed exactly, but I have a little theory about that just from what I've learned. Um a, a lot of this information that I'm pulling is I sprung for the Shout Factory special release uh, of this movie. They don't sponsor us, but they should. Well, uh, yeah. All, all of, <laughs> like, oh, I see you have 100 views on YouTube, but take all of this money. <laughs> but they released uh, like the theatrical cut and director's cut with a bunch of special features that uh, you can't find that for a reasonable price right now. In fact, this movie's a little kind of hard to find, and I think... This this is just a, a little conspiracy theory, but MGM owns this movie. They own all the Hannibal Lecter stuff, and I think because they own all the Hannibal Lecter stuff, that maybe because they're pushing the Anthony Hopkins movies, that this movie has just sort of been shelved, and so... Which, like I said, it doesn't deserve... Uh... This is so good. Yeah, and that that might not be it at all. But that's sort of how the the wheels in my brain are turning. But going back to your thing about the jump cuts, the visual effects crew walked out on that last night. Um, I think there was an argument between Michael Mann and them. And so all of the special effects that you see in that last scene are done by Mann and the rest of the crew. Like, there's a part, you know, where Dollar Hyde is being shot and there's blood splattering on the wall. It's some PA with ketchup in a straw blowing it out onto the wall. <laughs> and for the record, that didn't necessarily look bad, but, but for me it was just the... The jump cuts um, were... Well, and to give you an idea of like what we're talking about, it's like when somebody's shot, I mean, the, the, the footage just like spazzes. I believe it's like a 30s technique, like something you'd see in 30s films where the the person gets shot, and then they, they like they fall back. And then the jump cut is like just before they started falling back, but now they have the wound. And then and then they, they fall back the rest of the way. And so it's kind of jarring. Yeah, I wasn't completely I mean, it's not so out of place that I didn't consider that it might have been a stylistic choice. But it did kind of look like uh Roy Rogers had plugged him. Yeah, with the way the the movie is I mean, the the movie is so stylized that it's a case of maybe that this was intentional, but due to the fact that you never see jump cuts in the rest of the movie, or at least I, I don't think you do. No, now granted, there's not a lot of shooting going on but otherwise in the movie, but yeah. I think it was a case of we, we don't have squibs, we don't have people who can operate that, so we have to, we can't... Sh <laughs> We don't know how to suddenly have a wound appear other than through that method. And, I mean, with the visual effects crew walking out, one thing that every everybody, all the actors in their interviews kept talking about is how man likes to film for 20 hours straight, sometimes 24 hours straight, with a five-hour break before you start the next day. <laughs> And so the crew was constantly rotating out, like people just leaving and new people coming in. And I, I, Bones himself, has been on a film crew. We're learning the deep lore. And we were just doing 14-hour days, and I thought I was going to die after that. Yeah, Bones used to like movies. Uh, yeah, I used to like movies. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I can't imagine... 20 24 hour days filming but man is is very meticulous this this was kind of a funny little uh, side note uh, there's a scene where graham is talking to lector in a ho he's on the phone with lector in a hotel room and way in the background there is a giant size skyscraper that's a hotel man had some of his crew all the way over in that hotel, having them like go up and down in this elevator with a light on it, so you could see it in the background. <laughs> I didn't, it's such a small which is silly detail. You know what? I didn't even notice what was going on in the background. 
No, with hearing how how man is, I wouldn't be surprised if that his films are the type that people think there are secret messages in, because <laughs> he he's he's one of those directors like maybe not quite to the extent that Kubrick is, but he's everything in the shot is there for a reason, unless it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, Kubrick did such a good job with the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, the the other thing I wanted to, since we've done a lot of comparing, I'd say that of the Will Grahams, I know we already said that this Graham is better than the Edward Norton. Uh, this Graham is also way better than the one in Hannibal, the television series. Right, and it's funny because you can actually go online and find some comparisons because... Uh, I suppose, and part of the actual Hannibal series, they actually start to cover the events of Red Dragon. Um, but yeah, one thing that struck me is this is definitely, uh, of the three, I thought this was the most intense portrayal. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I didn't feel like the other two kind of leaned into enough is, I already said before that kind of the whole thing behind him is that his whole thing is that he gets in the killer's head. And he doesn't like that, but he has to do it. And the whole reason later that he's sent to the mental hospital is not because he was scared of how of Lecter having stabbed him. You can kind of see in this film before that he does kind of have some maybe some residual fear of Lecter. Uh, but because of just the damage of stepping in these people's heads and then trying to pull himself out again. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, everything he does is personal. A lot of the movie is him going through the crime scene and the whole time he's like talking to the person who committed the crime. Like, you know, you were here, you did this, you opened your eyes, didn't you, you son of a bitch? Mm. Like, he is, yeah, it's very personal, and despite the fact that him and uh, the Tooth Fairy don't meet each other until the very end, uh, you can t clearly tell that, like, he is focused, and it also helps that in this movie he's a father. So when he sees these families being murdered, it really, like, hits home with him. I mentioned that there's, you know, a director's cut and a theatrical cut, I would say just watch the theatrical cut, but the one thing the director's cut did that I do like is that there was an even more emphasis on his relationship with his family. But um, of of the three Grams, uh, I would say that this this is I'd almost say the most balanced because with Edward Norton's, he is like he, he just doesn't take crap from from Lecter he is just he's all of like the the down to business he is a a tough tough guy well and in this feeling you get the feeling that like you know he he won against Lecter but uh he still remembers but you know it's like he's messed with the snake and been bitten before and he remembers that yeah this this he's definitely got that uh he, he he's got some stuff going on in his head um, the Hannibal one just completely leans into him being mentally unwell. and I, I don't feel like it really matches up, too, with the way the character was written in the book or with, you know, the previous be, portrayals. To be honest, I, I mean, I, I watched a lot of Hannibal, um, and I did enjoy it, but it's kind of just fan fiction. If right. I'm being honest, it's a it's fan... fan fiction down to shipping <laughs> down to <laughs> down to shipping Will with Hannibal. Yeah, uh, there's a little there romance is, there. There is none nothing like this here. Uh, no, uh, Will abhors <laughs> Hannibal in this, and the feeling is definitely mutual. Yeah, no, they they don't like each other. I, I think that's also something that's kind of interesting. Looking at this with Silence of the Lambs. Clarice's relationship with Hannibal versus Will's relationship with Hannibal. No, because Clarice gets Hannibal to talk kind of through like her humility and being like revealing vulnerable details. Whereas in this one, it's like Will and Hannibal are trying to see who's going to blink first. Yeah. Uh, Will is maybe not as IQ smart as Lecter, but he's he's definitely an even playing field and cleverness. Right. I mean, he, though, you know, he kind of plays it off a little bit as getting lucky somewhat. He is the guy who put Hannibal behind bars. I guess uh, we should also maybe mention the the Manhunter title and 
also the the Red Dragon title. Uh, the reason this movie was called Manhunter, it was originally called Red Dragon, but they didn't want this movie to be mistaken as a kung fu film, <laughs> which at, that that was a valid concern in the eighties. Um, but the the reason it's called Red Dragon is that Francis he 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 doesn't like the name the Tooth Fairy to begin with, but he is in his mind becoming. The Red Dragon. Right. And there is in real life, uh, there's this painting. By uh, William Blake. Right. Called, uh, it's Red Dragon and what, the woman clothed in the sun or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of an interesting painting. It's a little disturbing even. Yeah. Blake, I believe, was commissioned to do illustrations for the Bible. And he did a bunch of these Red Dragon illustrations for the end part in Revelations about the, the dragon with the, the crowns and the horns and whatnot. That is uh, the where that comes from. And the character, not in this movie, but in the book and in the, the remake, has the William Blake tat- painting tattooed on him. And uh, here's a little fun bit of trivia. Some versions of, like home releases of this movie you'll see a picture with francis with the tattoo on him um and you'll see publicity photos with him having the tattoo that tattoo is not in the movie at all another interesting piece of trivia and i don't know if you can shed any light on this but one thing that was really weird was looking at like when it's going through and going through the cast and looking online they kept the names from the book but they changed the spelling for several of them. For instance, Lecter is spelled with a K. Dollarhide is spelled differently. And everything else is the same except the spelling of the names. Do you know why that is? I have no clue other Did than... Did they just hear it and then just write it out? Or was this consciously done, I wonder? It's just, it's weird because, you know... Well, I think it was a, like a Lecter was spelled like with an O. and so it, was like, it was spelled like Lector. Lector and then Lecter. Um... So maybe it could have been just a matter of, well, people or the actors won't know how to pronounce this name unless we change something. <laughs> well, uh, you know, erroneous. actors are kind of dumb. Let's put an O in there. They'll get it. <laughs> yeah, they'll get it. Um, no, I have no clue why that is. And it's like, it's an inconsequential fact. It doesn't really matter. You're not, you're going to hear the names and the names are going to sound the way they do in every other version of this. But uh, I don't know. I was just like, wow, why did they just randomly take creative liberties <laughs> with the spelling of all things? Yeah, it was a little <laughs> just such a random thing to do. But at the same time, I'm I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I'm happy. I'm happy that that was all they changed with regards <laughs> to the names because some some book adaptions to a film don't really get that same treatment or respect Uh, like uh i don't know every version of dracula (laughs) yeah characters names are changed or combined or swapped yeah yeah well see i we've talked a lot about this movie and i feel like while there's more to say i think this is as much as that needs to be said for the purposes of this podcast i'm about ready to implement the joe bob briggs system of rating of just giving every movie we do on here four stars (laughs) but uh i I would say i I would amend that i I think every film on here is either four stars or no stars (laughs) however once again it's hard for me to do that because i think the only thing better than a good movie is an absolute trash fire of a movie, uh, but this is not one of those. This is a good movie. This, I think, by most normal people's metrics, this yeah. would be a good movie. This is a a movie you could show to the average person, and I think they would enjoy it. Especially if you're a big fan of thrillers or police procedurals. If you like Criminal Minds or CSI or something, and you want something with a little more style, this is a good one. Yeah, this. This movie has scenes actually shot at the FBI lab in Quantico using actual FBI techniques. So, if that interests you, yeah, you know your your friends who are actually you know into this type of stuff might not uh, might find it a little harder to just keep picking this one apart. You know. Yeah, I think my my only critique, and this isn't this isn't a problem for me, but this might be a problem for some viewers, is that 
it's a movie that really does require your attention. Um, all of the facts and evidence and whatnot are laid out. There isn't things missing, or at least not things that I caught. No, it's not. It's not cheaply hiding things from you so you can make some sort of strange twist. But at the same time, unlike Red Dragon, where it it holds your. I mean, it doesn't hold your hand, but in you know the the remake it gives you okay we're moving from point a to point b to point c there's you know a very clear train that you're following this movie is there is that train but it's not really pointing to it so which blatantly. it is which could be fun for some of you guys looking at the evidence and kind of trying to see where the movie's going to go but uh yeah this is not a movie to like be playing something on your phone while you're watching you're going to miss important details and the movie's going to be worse off for it yeah no this this movie is uh you you put down your phone and you watch it but apart from that but you, you can show this one to your normal friends if you have any <laughs> you know um this film's great highly recommend uh the duke recommends duke recommends and with that i'll turn it over to the duke Duke, have you thought about what we're watching next time? So you caught me off guard a little bit here because despite knowing that we were going to film the podcast today, apparently it didn't occur to me that uh, it was my turn to pick. So while I'm thinking about doing Rollerball soon, uh, I need to check where that's most readily available to watch. But one movie I've wanted to do is, what you might not know is that The Giant Claw is our first episode. It's not the first one we filmed, or I should say recorded. Uh, We actually, it was the first one we liked, but uh, how do you feel, Bones, about taking another crack at Dario Argento's Phenomena? I think that would be a very good idea. And also, I should real quickly say, if you'd like to watch Manhunter, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I think uh, your best bet is to buy or rent it off of YouTube. But Phenomena yeah. is much easier to find. Right now. At least I'm pretty sure it's easier to find. It's on Tubi. Yeah, yeah, so. it's on tube. You can't get easier to find than that right now. Y- you can watch it and then watch our episode on it. <laughs> yeah, we'll all meet. We're, there's going to be a quiz, okay? So you better have watched it beforehand. Exactly. That's, that's my pick. Um, if you enjoyed this, just tell your friends. We're uh, trying to make ourselves as available as we can. We're on YouTube, CastBox, uh, Odyssey, and uh, hopefully very soon spotify and apple podcasts if i can figure out how to how to work it we're, we're just rubes guys i'm i'm a rube and i have a lot to do so he has, a lot, he has a lot of uh he has a lot of um crap what's that game you like to play uh yakuza i was thinking dead by day's light but yes he has a lot of yakuza to play so we'll <laughs> see if he can be bothered <laughs> but in the meantime tell your friends leave a comment like i said We've been slow about it, but we will be getting to recommendations. If you have some drop ours, we're going to make... Look, this podcast is going to last forever. This is just going to keep going on and all forever. And we're just going to make a list of movies, and that movie's list is never going to end. Please add to it. Yes, please do. I guess all there is to say is uh, thank you for listening. And uh, keep it cold. <laughs> good night and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>